good to see many of you whom we've met over the years and, and good to meet other folks for the first time. And it's our, our joy to be here today. I'm glad to be here with uh, my son, Ben. He and his family are home from Madagascar for a few months and we'll be going back uh, 1st of January to the place where, uh, where they serve the Lord. It was a blessing a little while ago as we drove from the motel over here uh, to FaceTime with a group of his folks who was, it's their afternoon over there, and a bunch of young men, they were having a preaching meeting, and a bunch of young men in the church were preaching. I have no idea what they were preaching because they were preaching in Malagasy, but he understood, and he said they were do, doing a good job, and that was a blessing to see. You know, folks, uh, sometimes we get tunnel vision. We think the only thing that's going on for God in the world is what's happening in our neighborhood. The truth of the matter is, God's at work all over this world, and while we meet here today, 10,000 miles away, uh, there's a group of young men in Madagascar who are coming together and preaching to each other and encouraging other, each other in the things of the Lord. So, it's exciting to serve God. I'm glad that you're here. I appreciate Brother O'Donnell. Just have met him the last few years through football camp, and congratulations on the Super Bowl victory this year at football camp, and uh, that's a blessing. And then, of course, good to see Brother Cavanaugh. You know, Providence Baptist College was a great school. Then the Cavanaugh started coming. And, uh, and I, was it Phil who was the first? Phil. Then they just, and they just kept coming. And they just kept coming. And, it, and, it, and then, you know, what are the odds? I send all but one of our kids. We have six kids, and all but one of them went to uh, uh, Providence. The black sheep of the family is right there. He went to, he went to uh, Oklahoma. But anyway, uh, it, what do you know? I have a daughter ends up marrying a Cavanaugh. And so that's what happened. But anyway, our next to youngest daughter married Pete, and they're about ready to have a baby. Congratulations to uh, 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 Brother Steve and Liz just a couple months ago, uh, baby number three. And so his, his brother and my daughter are getting ready to have a baby any day now. They're first, and we're excited about that. Probably would be another red-headed Kavanaugh in the world. But anyway, it's good to be here. <laughs> good to be here and be in this meeting today. Uh, let me get you to turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 32, Exodus 32, and uh, we'll begin here in just a minute. So school has started, I'm assuming, is that right? Has anybody not started school yet? You guys haven't started school yet. Okay, great. Uh, everybody else? No? Okay. How many of you have started school? There we go. All right, so eh, it's about half and half. Well, how many of you are 16 years of age? Let's stand up if you're 16 years of age. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. What we got, 10th grade? Ninth grade, tenth grade, is, is, okay, very good. First grade, is that what it is? Okay, very good. Have a seat. What I have here is some. Uh, I have some answers that were given uh, on a on a nationalized test to sixteen year olds, and so these are their they are, these are literal answers that sixteen year olds gave to these questions on a nationalized test. I'll give you some of these. Uh, here was the question: Name the four seasons. Here was the answer. Salt, pepper, mustard, and vinegar. That was their answer. 16 years old, okay? Um, question. Explain one of the processes by which water can be made safe to drink. Answer. Flirtation makes water safe to drink because it moves, removes large pollutants like grit, sand, dead sheep, and canoeists. That's pretty interesting. That takes imagination. Question. What causes the tides in the oceans? Answer. The tides are a fight between the earth and the moon. All water, all water tends to flow towards the moon because there is no water on the moon and nature abhors a vacuum. <laughs> I 
I forget where the sun joins the fight. So that's a good answer. Okay. Question, what are steroids? Answer, things for keeping the carpet on the stairs. Steroids. Question, name a major disease associated with cigarettes. Answer, premature death. <laughs> that's pretty good. Here's a good one. I thought this was pretty good. Question, how can you delay milk turning sour? Answer, keep it in the cow. <laughs> Question, what is a seizure? Answer, a Roman Empire. Question, what is a terminal illness? Answer, when you, when you are sick at the airport. <laughs> Question, what is a turbine? Something an Arab or Shriek wears on his head. But anyway, that's the answer. 16-year-olds, all of you that stood up a little while ago, your answer might have been one of these I read this morning. All right, very good. I want to stay on time today because I know there's a lot going on and we have some other uh, preaching sessions and uh, some activities and game times, and so I don't want to abuse that. I want to stay right on schedule. Have you found Exodus chapter 31? Let's stand together, please. I appreciate you being here again and appreciate the opportunity to preach and be in the, in the conference. Exodus 31, verse number 18. Follow along. The Bible says, And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. Look over at chapter 32, the next chapter. Look at verse number 15 with me, if you will. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides, on the one side and on the other side. On the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And I want to speak for a few minutes on this subject, Oh, Happy Day. You'll understand the title as we get into the message this morning, Oh, Happy Day. Let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, thank you for the privilege to have this meeting here in America. We can meet in freedom today, have a conference like this. And thank you that there are enough interested young people to get up and spend a Saturday at a conference like this one. Thank you for those leaders, pastors, youth pastors who have invested their time, energy, effort to bring the young people out today. Thank you for this host church and pastor and staff. And God, thank you most of all for your dear spirit. And would you please speak to our hearts today. Give us listening ears that we may hear what the Spirit of God would say to our hearts today. And help me, I pray, as I preach in Jesus' name and amen. Thank you. Be seated. I'm going to have you use your Bible in just a minute, so let me encourage you to keep it open there have been very few what I, I guess I would define as watershed days in human history. Days where events took place, things happened that uh, not only made an impact on that particular day, but they made an impact for months and in case, some cases years and decades in the future because of the things that happened on that particular day. I think of July 4th. 1776, when those 56 men signed their names, pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to, uh, to sign their names to the Declaration of Independence. And even though America is not what it used to be, folks, I still think it's the greatest place to live on planet Earth. We've got a lot of freedom, a lot of gospel influence still in this country today. July the 4th, 1776, was a watershed day. Maybe not so much for us here in the States as those that were on the European continent, I think of July, of, excuse me, June 6th. Was it, was it 1940? Help me. Four D-Day. Was that 42, 44? I forget exactly when it was. June 6th on D-Day. When the Allied uh, forces invaded there, the beach at Normandy. 
and Hitler was making his way without stop across the European continent and conquering and, and murdering and annihilating the Jewish people and, and the Americans and the British landed there. And although they lost a lot of people, a lot of men lost their lives, eventually that was the thing that broke the camel's back and they went on to win World War II. Uh, D-Day is a watershed day. I remember, I, I remember this. I remember when uh, Ronald Reagan, President of the United States, stood on the Berlin Wall representing the Iron Curtain over in Germany and dared Mikhail Gorbachev, the Russian Prime Minister, the Russian President, to tear down this wall and how that wall came down. And the gospel all of a sudden had influence and had access to the countries behind the Iron Curtain. I think about September the 11th, 2001, the day that the planes uh, crashed into the buildings and the terrorists attacked our country. Those are all watershed days. I didn't get them all. There have been more. But the day that I think, in my mind, this is just my opinion, speculation, my opinion. The, the, the day that I believe had the most impact on humanity, still having an impact on humanity today as we're in this room, is the day that we just read about here in Exodus chapter 31 and 32. Let me give you the setting. Moses, of course, has brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and they're on the way to the promised land, and Moses has gone up on the mountain. And he was on that mountain for 40 days. The first six days, I believe it was, the first six days he sat there, in complete silence. He didn't say anything to anybody. Nobody said anything to him. Now you think about that. It's hard for us to go just a few minutes in silence. Silence bothers us. It gives us trouble. But Moses was up there six days. Complete silence. Nobody's talking to him. Him talking to nobody. And then on the seventh day, God began to speak to Moses. And he spoke to him about the tabernacle. And he spoke to him about the laws that he wanted his people to keep. And the statutes and the judgments and the ordinances and the commandments. And for those 34 days, day 7 through 40, God spoke to Moses. And when Moses, uh, at the end of that 40th day, got ready to go back down to the camp of Israel, the Bible says that God gave him two tablets of testimony. Two tablets, two pieces of stone. And the Bible says they were written on both sides, written, with the, written, written by the finger of God. And we know for sure the Ten Commandments were on those tablets of stone. And maybe some other parts of what God had told Moses in those 34 days. And you know, here's my point this morning, young people. Uh, Moses held tablets of stone that were engraven by the finger of God... And the thing that was engraven on those tablets of stone was the Word of God. Yep. Written with the very, and for the, as far as I could tell, now I may be wrong on this, certainly nothing to split hairs over or have a debate about. I may be wrong. But as far as I could tell, what I've read in the Bible, this was the first time in human history, 6,000 years of human history, that man held in his hands. Uh, 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 in that case, stone, rock, that on which were engraven the very words of God. He didn't have to speculate about what God right. may have said. Right. He didn't have to guess at what God might have said or what God intended to say. He had in His hands two pieces of stone that had written upon them the Word of God. And I was reading my Bible one day some years ago, and I came across this passage. You know how it is when you read the Bible, you read things over and over again. You read right past it, but on certain days, certain times, it just jumps off the pages at you. 
And it jumped off the pages of my heart that morning as I was having my devotions. And I began to think, man, what a day. Oh, happy day. Man held a copy of God's infallible word in his hands. And young people, for the next 4,000, or for the next 1,600 years, plus or minus, God, through 40 different writers, uh, took up pen and quill, and God gave those writers the 66 books that we know today as the Bible. Think about this, young people. Uh, uh, 66 books, 40 different human writers, no contradictions. None. You know, if I was to ask, and that was done over 1,600 years, if I was to ask Brother Spencer and Brother Edwards and Brother, Brother O'Donnell and Brother Kavanaugh, if, if we were to assign them, you know, a topic and say, hey, man, we would like for you to write a 3,000-word paper on the subject of whatever, fill in the blank there. And all of them were given the same topic, the same subject about which to write. And we said, fellas, please, you got 3,000 words and you got seven days to do it. Next week at this time, you bring back your, your, your thesis. You bring back that paper, a 3,000-word paper uh, on the subject of, of such and such. Now, uh, you know, I'm sure that Brother Spencer and Brother Edwards and Brother O'Donnell and Brother Kavanaugh pretty much dot all the I's and cross all the T's the same way. But do you understand they are four different men with four different minds? And you know what? When they brought those papers back next Saturday, I'll promise you, as good a men as they are, somewhere in those papers there would be a contradiction. No doubt about it. In seven days, four men would write something that would contradict what the other one said. In your lap this morning, you got a book. It took over 1,600 years for God to give to man. Forty different men took up a pen or a quill or whatever spoke with their tongue these words. And in this book you've got, there are no contradictions whatsoever. Nobody can. They're separated by, in some cases, 1,600 years from Moses, if you will, to John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos. And I thought, what a day. Oh, happy day. I'm so glad that I've got a book called the Word of God. I'm so glad I've got a book called the Bible. What an impact this book has made on humanity. For all these years that it's been on planet Earth, in, the, in some form or another, what an impact it has made on humanity. And I hope, young people, it's making an impact in your life if it's not it's not the bible's fault if the word of god is not having an impact on your heart and your life and i understand look i'm not expecting you to be Susie scripture and you know billy baptist and bionic christian i'm not expecting that from you i'm expecting you to have fun and be interested in you know the things that young people are interested in but i want to tell you something this book is relevant for 14 year olds just like it is for 40 year olds this book is relevant for 17 year olds just like it is for 70 year olds and sometimes somewhere along the way every now and again this book ought to have an impact in your heart this book ought to make an impact in your life and there's nothing wrong with the scripture if it's not there's something wrong with us now what do we have what did God give man when God gave us his word what did God I want to show you some things this morning that God gave us turn over to Jeremiah chapter 15 so find that place in your Bible Jeremiah chapter 15 and we'll read a verse here chapter 15 verse number 16 when God gave Moses his word and down through these 1600 years as God continued to give his word to man what 
did God give man? What is the Bible to you and to me? Look at chapter 15, book of Jeremiah, and verse number 16. Jeremiah, for sake of time, I won't get too deeply into the context here. But I want you to say it. We'll see what he said about the Bible, verse number 16. He said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. He said, thy words were found, and I did eat them. The first thing that God gave to man when he gave us his word is he gave us nourishing food. Nourishing food. Once you see that Jeremiah said he found the words of God and he ate them. Now you folks know that Jeremiah didn't take a piece of parchment paper, rip it out of the scroll, stuff it in his mouth and start chewing on it. That's not what he's talking about here. He said when he found the word, he went to the word, he went to the parchment, he went to the scriptures and he began to find, to read the word of God. And he did, when he read the word of God, he ate it, went into his mind and then to his heart and he chewed on it and like a cow chewing its cud, he ate the word of God. It got in him and the word of God was like nourishing food. Do you know that the Bible refers to itself as milk? You know the Bible refers to itself as meat? The Bible refers to itself as bread. The Bible refers to itself as honey. And Jeremiah said, he said, when I found the words of God, I ate them and they were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. He said, they gave me joy. They made me rejoice. And I think the book it is of Nehemiah chapter 8 says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So what Jeremiah was saying here was he found the words of God and he began to eat those words read them and get them into his mind and into his heart. And as he did so, the Bible gave him strength. Now that's what food does to you and me. Do you know what physical food is to our bodies? The Scripture is to our soul and spirit. What physical food does to our body? What does physical food do to us? It makes us fat. I don't know. What does physical food do to us? It gives us strength. It makes us strong. Our body breaks it down and the blood takes the nutrients and the, the goods of that food, that food throughout our body and gives our body strength. You know, now look, I know one thing about teenagers. Uh, I started out 35 years ago as a youth director there in Washington, Iowa and stayed that way for 10 years and then had the privilege of being with teenagers ever since. Teenagers like to eat. In fact, it's not hard to feed teenagers. You have pizza on Monday night. You have a hamburger on Tuesday night and have pizza on Wednesday night. Have hot dogs on Thursday night and pizza on Friday night. And just to make sure it's a good week, have pizza on Saturday and Sunday. And if you have pizza, what do they say about youth activities? You know, I teach the youth ministry once in a while at the college. Three things you got to have. Teenagers love three things. Fun, friends, and food. I'm not sure in that order. Maybe food, friends, and fun. I don't know. Maybe some of you associate food with fun. I don't know, okay? But teenagers like food. And we like to eat. You don't have to call us two or three times. I, obviously, from the looks of me, I haven't missed too many meals, all right? I like to eat. Now, I grew up in Georgia, down south, where when I grew up, we all had gardens. And I mean, we ate out of our gardens. Now, let me tell you, we had all, you, you, can't, you can't feed me a vegetable that I don't like. I like peas. I like beans. I like okra. I like okra any way you can fix it. I like okra fried. I like okra boiled. It's the easiest way to eat it. You just put it on your tongue and it slides right down. You don't have to eat chew it. I like it in soup. I like it pickled. I love, I love okra any way you can get it. Squash, 
butter peas. Man, I, I am used to that kind of food. I was used to my mother taking a chicken and rolling it in buttermilk and then rolling it in flour. And there was a black iron skillet there with that much grease in it. Now you can't do that if you're going to be you know, politically correct because it kills you. All right? But it used to have that much grease in it. She would drop that chicken down in that, in that hot grease and it would snap, crackle, and pop. Brother, snap, crackle, pop did not begin with Rice Krispies. It started with my mother's fried chicken. In the, in the, and when you bit into it, it was like... And mashed potatoes made from real potatoes. Hey, kids. They make real... Mashed potatoes don't always come out of a box. Real potatoes. And then, you know, Pillsbury Doughboy, who's he? You know who he was. No, Cathead Biscuits made from scratch. Mixing the flour, mixing the buttermilk, mixing the shortening, mixing the stick, whatever it is they put in there, all right? And then rolling it all up in a great big ball and taking that, bat, that uh, 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 what do you call it, rolling pin. Somebody like a battering ram, okay? But anyway, uh, rolling pin, rolling the dough out. And then I remember me and my, my grandma would take a tin can, a tin can, and she would cut those biscuits out of the, out of the dough with a tin can. And put it in the oven, Brother Spencer. And man, those things would rise up two or three inches. They're called cat head biscuits. You pull those things out and you cut them in half and the steam is rising out of the middle of them. And then you take butter. There's no such thing in the Bible as margarine. Butter is in the Bible. There's no such thing as margarine. You take butter and you put it in. You cover that thing with honey. Have I made you hungry yet? No, I haven't. I haven't. I'm not talking about pizza. That's why. Okay. Then eating that, I'm talking about, man, I mean, that's how I grew up. I love to eat. Yeah, I saw a bumper sticker said, so one person said, I eat to live. Another sticker said, I live to eat. But anyway, uh, you know, and then, hey, then I married a Midwestern girl. Midwestern girl. Do you know how Midwestern girls cook? I didn't know this until I married a Midwestern girl. They take a pan, nine and a half by 11. Whatever, it's a glass pan. And they throw everything into the same pan. They put the meat, and they put the potato, and they put the carrots, and then they sauce it all up with cream of mushroom soup. And then they put it in the oven and bake it for 45 minutes, and it comes out, and it's called a... Wash your mouth out with soap. That is filthy, dirty. And I'll tell you, so, you know, what's, what's a boy who grows up in Georgia eating homemade food from the garden and so forth, do with a wife that now cooks a casserole. You compromise. Every time I'm out of town, she makes casseroles for the, for the family. But when I'm home, no. I'm having some fun this morning. And I know that's the honest truth. We love to eat. Nothing wrong with that. You tell you what, we'll have a big day at church for Baptist people. Just have food, right? You ever have a big day? You ever have potluck? And here comes these people, you know, you haven't seen them in eight months, you know. Oh, good, pastor's good to be back. <laughs> you know? Okay, here we go. Free food, here they come, you know. It's wild, man, because people love to eat. Now listen, I'm not against you. I'm not against you liking to eat. That's normal, that's natural. Are you listening to me? That's normal, that's natural. And when you get saved, when you get saved, God does something in your heart. And just as natural and normal as it is for you to get hungry for physical food, it's natural and normal for a Christian to get hungry for spiritual food. It's one of the reasons I know, one of the reasons I knew I was, what a big difference when I got saved. 
I had no time for that book before I got saved. None. No interest. Zip. I'm not proud of that. I'm not boasting. I'm ashamed. What a difference when God saved my soul almost 40 years ago next month. All of a sudden, it was normal to have an appetite for the Scripture. And I want to tell you something, guys. Listen very carefully. You know, sometimes we wonder, where are the young people that will stand for God? I'm going to tell you something, buddy. I hope you guys have your eyes open. And I'm not a, I don't want to be the type of preacher that scares, you know, scares teenagers to the point where they don't want to live past next week. Ugh. Okay? But I'm going to tell you something. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a scary day. If you're going to live for God, it's going to take some fortitude. If you're going to live for God, it's going to take some strength. You're not going to get that strength just by trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're not going to get that strength by trying to be like the little engine that could. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. You're going to get that strength to stand from the food that gives you strength. And if we kept you away from food for 30 days and then took one of you boys out in a hot July day or August day with a push mower and said, hey, mow this acre of grass here. If you had anything to eat for 30 days, I'm not sure you'd make it through 98 degrees outside, high humidity, and you're out there trying to push that mower through four-inch high grass you haven't eaten for 30 days. You'd begin to stumble and falter because you're weak. And why not? You hadn't eaten 